we recognize that life is real, but there is always a antidote for, for every, you know, different, there's a, there's a remedy, sorry, for situations. You don't just leave yourself. That is one of the things that we have, you know, you don't just leave, you know, you don't abandon yourself. There's a, there's a solution, okay? And, and it's in our spirituality. The solution is in our spirituality. And there's a lot that we can do to help ourselves. You're listening to Garifuna Sisters Talk Spirituality. Mabuga, mabuga. I'm Farosa Kaitano, and I'm here with my sister, Kylie Simone. And welcome to Garifuna Sisters Talk Spirituality. We created this podcast as a tool to learn more about the spirituality aspect of our culture, the Garifuna culture. If you're new to the show, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And if you don't know much about the Garifuna people, the Garifuna are an Afro-Indigenous people from the Caribbean, namely St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And we were exiled to Central America. We were exiled to Honduras and we spread along the coasts. And now we are found all over the world. So we did this podcast because we are international people and this is how we reach international. Or as our father would say, Autonational. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something a Rasta man would say. You know, dad is a low-key Rasta. But anyway, <laughs> we digress. What's up, Kylie? I'm all right. You know, the semester is coming to a close. I am stressed, but otherwise I'm good. You know, we're in a panoramic. I'm just trying to, to finish strong. Yeah, that's what Kylie, if you haven't heard a previous episode, a panoramic is what Kylie calls the pandemic. <laughs> How are you? Are you okay? Yeah, it's been a good week. Easter Easter revived my energy and my senses and I'm back to making music more seriously and I'm excited for for what is coming out of me melody and lyric wise, you know. So more on that later. But I'm also yeah. thinking about our people in St. Vincent and the Grenadines, our people in Urume. As we record this, the volcano is erupting. And our people, the Garifuna people, otherwise known as Carib, they are in direct line of contact with, with the, the volcano. volcano. And that goes back to history with the British who were like, we don't want these people. Let's just put them in the more dangerous part of the island. And maybe they can dead out then. <laughs> and so that is how historically the Garifuna people are in the northern part of St. Vincent, the mainland St. Vincent and the volcano is erupting and evacuation services are happening and it's a situation. Of course, our thoughts and prayers are with them, but there are also a lot of donation drives going on on the ground in the States and also financial-wise, there's a GoFundMe. So if you can, please donate. It will be in the show notes. And yeah, you know, we pray. Absolutely. This is important. Absolutely. So today we're talking to our darling auntie, Lucia Ellis. Kylie, can you tell our listeners more about our guest? Lucia Regina Ellis is a retired teacher and counselor, and she is the owner and manager of the Numasa Wellness Center in Belize. She offers holistic health and wellness, education, research, and advocacy services. 
And I love her. (laughs) (laughs) Auntie Lucia is the ultimate auntie that I want to be and will probably be when I grow up. Long flowing clothes. Ethereal energy presence. Deep wisdom. Pan flutes playing in the background when I walk by. (laughs) She comes and goes with the wind. She literally does, though. She comes and goes with the wind, and I swear there is just music in the background. Just like, you know. (laughs) I want to be that at peace when I grow up. You know what? She works hard for her peace, and she tells us her daily practice, and we can all learn from that. I learned so much from this conversation. Okay, tell me. Break it down. Auntie Auntie spoke briefly about the similarities and differences in cultures and the role and importance of women's reproductive health and its connection to spiritual protection, our protecting our own auras and our energies. And I found that really well as a history geek, as a history geek, I knew that and I could relate to that when she talked about the Dabuyaba and how a woman's energy when she's menstruating is very strong in the energy and there are herbs that you can take to kind of mute that so that the spirits aren't disturbed. And I was like, what? That's crazy. I didn't know that because I knew about that in other cultures and history, but I didn't know that we have that similar practice, but then it made sense when I really thought about it what she said about spiritual hygiene and how we can't just knock about and not be affected and i do always like to say this to other people just like how we take a shower at the end of the day brush our teeth ting and ting we also have to clean our energy and she really goes into depth about that as women i learned from auntie lucia that as women the crown of our heads is like a spiritual antenna and to protect yourself from that, you that's why Gareth and women wrap our heads. And for me now, especially since having that conversation, I rarely take public transportation. But if and when I do, I wrap my head mm. because we're in Corona times and I don't I want to limit my time outside as much as I can. And I don't want to be picking up other people's dust energies. Dust. <laughs> yeah. Precisely. Yeah. Like physical and energetic dust. Precisely, precisely. It's good to be more intentional about your self-protection, not just physically, but spiritually as well. Yeah, it's also good to know why. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've been wrapping my head, and I guess intuitively it was as a form of protection, but it was nice to hear it from her to definitively say, yes, we do this because this protects us. But then it also begs the question, not all of our practices have a reason. I mean, there is a reason, but we don't know why. You can ask a bouye why they do whatever part in a ritual and they might not know why, but that this is how it's always been done and this is what needs to be done. Or maybe just this is what the spirit told me. I didn't get a reason why yeah yeah not that that precludes us from asking why but yeah there are certain things that we just don't know why um i also liked 
in the beginning of the conversation, she she psychoanalyzes our attitudes towards spirituality. Her background is as a counselor in schools, and she's also counseled people across the country. And she goes into the history of how there was a generation of Garifuna who distanced themselves from the spirituality aspects of the culture and that it was a matter of survival. And she talks about how these behaviors, which stem from survival over the generations, lost their meaning. And so people people would be like, oh, well, I never grew up in a, you know, I never know about Dugu and I never know about Garifuna spirituality. And her thing to that is, well, you don't know about it because the behavior of distancing was because of survival. But we don't need to survive in that way anymore. There was a time when. Um, and we talk about this in our next episode, there was a time when if you are associated with the Dabuyaba, which is our spiritual temple, if you were working with the Catholic Church, you would immediately get cut. Like, that's your livelihood. And so in that way, you know, for survival, there were those of us who had to separate. And then that lent into the division that we now have, where some of us believe, some of us don't believe. Mm-hmm. And so she goes into the history of that, and I really appreciated that. She talks about behavioral patterns, and she links it back to an analogy of Black people in America and slavery, and it's really interesting. I, You guys just listen to this episode. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. Auntie Lucia was the first person in my life that was... She was always very different. She wore traditional clothes she was always doing more natural alternatives one time she visited us in jamaica and i was really 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 sick i just had a very nasty flu and i was alone with her and i wanted tylenol and she was like no don't have tylenol have this and she made this concoction of onion and garlic and it was nasty (laughs) it was nasty but it did the trick but it was nasty she is the original like natural queen natural queen yeah man before (laughs) before it was a because it's all the rage now before it was a craze yeah one of the times auntie visited us in trinidad i offered her some soda or something and she was like oh no baby i don't drink anything that i can't see through and i thought about that and i was like whoa that's a good way to live by (laughs) I'm pretty sure shortly after that, I stopped drinking soda. I was like, no, my auntie said, that's not good for me. I'm not going to. Does Sprite count? You can see through Sprite. I mean, I I count Sprite. Sprite is good. I love Sprite, personally. (laughs) But baths. Spiritual baths. The first time I saw a spiritual bath being done, I was 12 or 13. And I always thought it was fascinating because after that, I didn't hear or see that again until much later until maybe shortly after our spiritual journeys began and even now I've never I've never had a bath made but I've done my own kind of concoctions at home and just you know I try to stay home especially since the pandemic because I have a, a tub right I just try to keep my energy clean and my my spirit and my body am I making sense Yes. Okay. I just had to check in and make sure. That's all I had to say about that. I never thought about mopping the floor with the bath water, though. 
like spiritually cleaning your house that was fascinating i was like what i mean i guess so yeah yeah so lucia ellis her father is from honduras and her mother is from zangriga by way of la boga which is livingston guatemala so she is rooted truly rooted across the garifuna nation and she's also an author and she talks a little bit about how her books came about and how she was called to herbal medicine and what her process is like her book she's written several books and she talks about them extensively i really want to plug her book called dimensions and boundaries of garifuna duo that book single-handedly saved my life she gifted it to me in 2015 and i know she didn't think anything of it because she was just like here you go i have extras but this was when i was very early in my journey and i needed something tangible i'm an academic i i'm a writer so i like to read and i needed something tangible and this book is literally a breakdown of Garifuna Spirituality 101 in a book, in simple, plain, easy to understand language that a 10 year old could read and understand. Her books can be found in Belize. They're in the show notes. They're not yet available on Amazon, but her contact information is also in the show notes. If you want to make a special order, get in contact with her directly, she would be very much open to that. So strap in, folks. Okay. Hello, Mavriga. We're here with the esteemed Lucia Regina Ellis our auntie as well (laughs) so oh we didn't talk about how are we gonna call you miss ellis auntie luz auntie luz auntie luz auntie luz (laughs) okay yes this is this is an informal conversation you know we're talking to our auntie and we're sharing this informational conversation with the world yes so auntie luz for those who don't know for our listeners far and wide can you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from Yes, um, thank you for having me. I am Lucia Regina Ellis. I am a Garifuna woman living in Belize. And I have roots in Dangriga. That's where I was born. And my dad is from Honduras. My mother is was born in Dangriga. However, her ancestors are from Labuga. So I have roots in the Garifuna Nation. So um, all of that is enveloped in this human being, the energy of that of those um, ancestors. And I also take pride in the African ancestry that is part of being Garifuna. So whenever I speak, I come from that orientation of being Garifuna slash African. That's an interesting distinction. What was it like for you growing up Garifuna? Was the culture always part of your life, Auntie? Yes, it was. Um, Interesting question because it wasn't something that I, you know, you grow up in it, so you, it's... It's just normal. Second nature, it's normal. However, it was when I became a teenager 
that I became aware that people saw it as an issue. Mm. You know, um, when I went to high school, I went to St. Catherine's Academy. I was asked, um, are you Jamaican? I said, no, I'm not Jamaican. I am Belizean. I was born in Belize and I'm Garifuna. And this was Belize City and they were not sure what Garifuna was. No, at the time we said Carib, right? Garifuna <laughs> came later. I am Carib. And what is that? You know? And then I saw the distancing that happened because I identified <laughs> with being Carib. And, but it didn't register. But in hindsight, I, I, there was a distancing. But no, 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 you are not like them. You are not that. You are not this because you are different. You know, I said, no. <laughs> so then I started to question and ask, why would people have this attitude? You know, because I, it wasn't something told, told to me that we were different. I just grew up naturally knowing that, you know. But it's it's in it's in teenage years that you become you start to define your identity, and I guess my peers were also defining their identity because it was a predominantly Creole mestizo environment at St. Catharines. Okay, so that's when I became aware and started to follow this process and got curious about what it is to be Garifuna. If it since it's so different from these other people that I saw as my friends and peers, right? That, that's when my journey began. You know, I started to ask about the language because we didn't, I knew about the Garifuna language at home. My parents spoke it, but we didn't speak it as children. We weren't, it wasn't, we weren't demanded to respond. I understood, but we had to, we, we, we were not told to respond in Garifuna. I questioned that. Why are we not speaking Garifuna? But we were not allowed to speak Creole at home either. We had to speak only English, right? The Queen's English. Yes, the Queen's English. <laughs> you know, so we un I understood Garifuna. My parents spoke Garifuna to each other around us. So we became familiar with some words, but we did not, because we were not in a Garifuna environment, by the way. We were in the Kaya district where different other parts of the country we weren't in that. We didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in Dangriga or Punta Gorda where the Garifuna language is spoken. Being in, a, in these other environments, we picked up the other languages. I speak Spanish well. And when we were living in Corozal, I learned Spanish. In Kaya, it became reinforced. So the, the language of the environment was... Spanish, I learned that, and English. So, but not growing up in a Garifuna community, I didn't have the opportunity to learn the language from the population, you know, outside of home. So, but I was aware of it, and my curiosity led me to learn about the different aspects of the culture from then. I prepared the food. Uh, my my mom's sisters, they would visit and they taught us some of the songs, right? They would sing the songs and that's where I learned the songs, you know? So from teenage, young, I was learning the Garifuna songs and my dad would bring some of the, he had connections with some of the popular artists of the day and he would bring them 
to Kaya, to our community, and they would play and entertain, and we would learn about drumming. So different aspects of the culture became part of my knowledge base. And, and in addition to that, we would go to Dangriga for the summer or Easter. As the last day of school, the next day we'll be packed up and taken <laughs> to Dangriga. So again, that was one place where we learned some more. I learned more different aspects of their culture. But the details now, you know, and why the suspicion about us, that's where my curiosity took me. So I would ask questions. I was always a question, somebody that questioned things and look for answers. Ask, ask if you don't have the answer, tell who can I find out from, you know, or even go and seek, seek out knowledge. You know, that was always my nature. So I would... I heard drums and I would follow the sound of the drums to find out what was happening. So my first experience was with the Dugu. I heard the drumming once we were in Dangriga on one of these vacations. And we heard the drummings in the evening and we followed the drumming and then I peep in and I saw the action. And then we was being snatched away. Come, come, move away from there. You know, <laughs> that's... You know, in those days, it was kind of taboo. That what I'm talking about in the 60s, right? Because I'm 65 now. So we're looking at way back. Things have changed now. Where you, Stefan and Kylie, would be encouraged to go to the temple and participate. But in my teenage years, it was like, oh, no, 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 no. Don't go there. That's, not, that's only for those kind of people. It wasn't told to you. It was just the, the you were dragged away. Don't go there. You know, the people who I was with, my peers, would say, ah, don't go, no, come, come, come. And I was curious, and I said, no, no, I want to see. I want to know when I, no, 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 come. Let's go, you know? And as I questioned, I realized, I asked my parents, and they didn't know much about it. So, in other, so they had already been alienated. They knew that it happened, but they couldn't tell me what was happening because they didn't participate. So they, they were a generation of adults who had been separated for, for so many years because of the reality of Garifuna at that time. If you wanted to achieve, if you wanted to succeed, you needed to distance yourself from those aspects of the culture. Of course, things have changed now, but there's a, there was a generation of Garinago who felt that way, who had that experience. It was a choice they made because of the reality of that's what you had to do to survive. So it's not an indictment on them. It's because they eventually, when things change, they roll back and they reverse. You know, it's it's like present day in America, if I want to do an analogy, where in the slavery days, the house, the house mothers were black women. And when the black kids came into the house, they would treat them unkindly. But big why? Because they didn't want the mistress, house mistress, to see the endearment that they had for these children. Otherwise, they would separate them. 
no, 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 you can't be treating them nice. So they would rough them up to give the impression that I don't care about you. But however, now that became a behavior that has continued. At that time, that behavior was necessary for, for survival, you understand? But it has continued. So, so the thing is, how do we reverse it so that we, we appreciate our culture? Because circumstances have changed. Now it's acceptable, now it is beneficial, now it is necessary. But some of us has in, have internalized that distancing, thinking that that is the way it should be. You understand? So that's why I bring up that, that comparison, you know, that behavior was necessary for the survival of all people. However, now we can use our culture so that we can flourish. So if we, we need to understand that. Wow. Wow, I so never it's, even it's, thought about that. I have, I, I have become, I've had access to this information because I study patterns in our socio-psychological development. Why is it that we behave a certain way? I'm a counselor by profession, so I need to understand people's behaviors and the root of it. And that, has what, that is what has taken me to an understanding of the root of our rejection of ourselves, of who we are. It brings some empathy. We cannot judge. We empathize and we need to create a space where we feel safe to, to be ourselves. And that's not always there. Yeah. In our culture, unfortunately, we have still fostered that environment of I am better than you, my pencilla, a pencilla and educated and that, you know, and 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 that is that is not helping us as a people. Right? That's not helping us. So we we need to be loving and sensitive and intelligent with how we behave. And and we are judged now. Well, people will say, "Oh, you you are you shouldn't be dealing with those people, or that kind of people." No, they are our people. But for the grace of God, go I. I I have been privy to knowledge and information, so I have to share. Right? We have to share. It's our duty. And that's what our ancestors want. If you see behind me, I have my altar. Wow! Oh, right? it's beautiful. I, <laughs> I all the time I I call on my ancestors to give us on our ancestors to give guidance. You know what I I didn't know I was going to say this to you today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, they give guidance. They okay. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's you know it's it's so critical that we look at our our spiritual or role as spiritual beings, okay, and pay heed to pay heed to um, the gift that you have. Each of you have, both of you have gifts, and I, and I admire the fact that this is a gift that you are able to mobilize the elders in the community. I, do, am I an elder? Yes, I'm an elder. 
<laughs> Your spirit is young, auntie. <laughs> you know, mobilize the elders so that we can teach and, and share for the next generation. That's what it's about. There are several books that I wrote in, in that spirit. This one here, Making a Difference for Humanity, is my first book. Um, this is a procedural manual for school counselors. Well, I'm a counselor by profession, and I initiated several counseling programs. Bamapan Comprehensive School was my first, and um, then I moved to Sacred Heart, Sacred Heart established their counseling program. And in the case, no, Sacred Heart High School in San Ignacio. Thank you for asking. In San Ignacio. Uh, that's where my parents live. So, you know, I was in that area and I and I started part-time and became full-time. First, I went on as um, social studies teacher. Then I was asked to spearhead the counseling program and was given, offered training to qualify me for that role. I took on that for four years. Getting, getting the program going, setting up the systems, using the American School Counselors Association model and tweaking it to suit Belize, right? And in 2007, after being on this program for four, five, four years, I decided that I'm gonna leave by, by the end of that school year. So having set up the program, you know, my, my, I could not just drop it. So I started to document the process that I had followed. I had it packaged and I was going to give it to the principal as a report, but I shared it with a friend of mine, Paul Morgan, and I shared it with my husband. And they said, no, don't give it to them just like that. This is a book, <laughs> you know? Why don't you publish it? Because other schools could use it. And that's what I did. I published it and I acknowledge Sacred Heart for giving me the platform to develop it. And it became the reference for counseling in all of our high schools. I left Sacred Heart in 2007. Not that things were going bad, it was just wonderful. But I, my spirit told me that I had finished the job that I had come to do there. And it was in March of 2007 that I attended a retreat in Belize City. I, I do regular retreats to reflect and to process and to look at where my forward planning of my of spiritual hygiene, if you wish. At the end of the retreat, my message was, your work, you need to, your work there is done, you need to leave. So I went back to school the Monday because the retreat was a weekend. And I walk into the principal's office and <laughs> I said, you know, this is March, school is closing in June. We need, you need to plan to get another counselor. He said, okay. But he didn't believe me, dismissed me, said, all right, I'll think about it, bye. <laughs> and um, I was invited to write a paper on the status of the health status of Garifuna people. And this was for a conference that was to be held in Australia. So I wrote the paper and I decided to take a case study approach to this topic. I highlighted all the issues that 
affect Garifuna women especially, but families um, in terms of their limited access to healthcare, the Western healthcare, and the alienation that we have from traditional medicine, that was an issue. And also the poverty and um, the food choices. We have moved away from more traditional foods, which were more wholesome, more lifestyle practices of farming and so on, which made the body physically active, migration, migration of our of a large population, like a brain drain from the community. And that has impacted on our physical and mental and emotional well-being. So those issues I have were highlighted in this case study. It's online. You can if you Google my name, you'll find it. The team of 50 indigenous people were selected to go from all over the world to go to Adelaide, Australia to present their case studies. And mine was one of those that was selected. So I went to Adelaide. I took time off from school. Um, I had already told the principal I was leaving, but didn't know that this was in the work, right? So this is, so I asked for time off. He said, okay, you can go. So I went to Adelaide and I presented and that was, an, that was an awesome experience being in a conference with indigenous people from all over the world. I learned so much that uh, it was not just restricted to third world, even some people from the North considered themselves indigenous. And of course, Canada and the USA were well represented there. Mm. Uh, the conference was, and it was also the anniversary of 40 years since the indigenous people of Australia, the Aborigines were free, given their freedom on their own territory. That, so it was linked to that, okay? The event was tied into that anniversary. Right. So again, another enlightenment for me of, of the situation of indigenous people and also the work that needed to be done in terms of representing and also modeling the power that we have as a people. Because in this forum, it, was, it came out that we were sitting on wealth and we were being made to feel that we were poor. Being all together, we all, there was a realization of that and then that empowered all of us to go forward and let's say, okay, enough is enough. And this was in the height of the decade of the indigenous people, people's movement. So it was the begin commencement of that. I went up and I said, you know, this they need, we need to put an end to white supremacy. You know? <laughs> and that became the, the quotation of the week. You know, let's and this is before it became a buzzword as it is today. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but tying into that, yes, I left my children in, in Sacred Heart. I left them behind. But, and the way our spirit moves, I'm sharing this with you. Before I went to Australia, I had been in England and I'd seen a movie, The Rabbit Proof Fence. 
which is based in, on Australia history. So while I was doing this paper and in preparation for Australia, I showed my children, my students, the video. I had them write letters to the government of Australia expressing how they felt about how these children were treated. And so I took these letters with me to Australia and I presented it to the organizers of the conference. And that was a whole media coverage. Belize children speak out on the way how the youth of the Aboriginal youth were treated. Oh, and I was interviewed and pictures and so on and copies of the letters were taken and so on. Yeah. So that was awesome in the sense of now these our young people here were sensitized. I think it was 105 letters I took. So the bridging the knowledge, you know, of, of these young people to know that other children as were were the were suffering, indigenous people all over the world have suffered. And, but these youth in the rabbit proof fence showed that the children did whatever they could to get back to their roots. That was the message. You do whatever you can to go back home, home to yourself. I just threw that in for, as a message that we, we have that yearning to go back to what we know. And sometimes you don't know that what it is, but you, you have a yearning, okay, a longing, and you search. So we need to honor that search and listen to that message. Yes. So back to the conference again. At the end of the conference, a team of delegates were selected to go and present to the World Health Organization in Vancouver, Canada. And I was... There were three of us selected and I was one of the members who was selected to go to Vancouver to present to the World Health Organization the position of indigenous people with regards to their health status. The title of the conference was Social Determinants of Indigenous Health. So I come back to Belize now and I tell my principal, you see, I told you I, I can't stay here. I have to go. So he said, you can go now. You can go. <laughs> it was this was summer vacation so he freed me up I didn't have to stay in the school and I went to Canada and I did that I said you know I'm still leaving so I did that which we represented well I did a tour then the, the group was given a tour of indigenous communities in Canada and programs that they had put in place to empower children, women, children, and families in these communities. And so that exposure was um, extremely good for me. That trip was supported by National Garifuna Council, actually. So um, coming back from there, I prepared a report for National Garifuna Council, um, rec giving recommendations, resources, and possibilities of how we could improve the health status of, of our indigenous, of our Garifuna people in Belize. Mm. So that I presented that and that was my output. I came back to school and I told Mr. my principal, Mr. Aird, I said, okay, have you identified who will be your counselor? He said, um, I didn't know you were serious. <laughs> 
I said, I'm serious. You see, I am following, I don't know where I'm going. I don't have a job. It's not that I have a job, another school to go to, but I have things to do. I don't know where I am going to end up, but I need to focus on this mission of health improvement. So I left that arena and moved on to work on indigenous lifestyles and health. So this, these books, I wrote them. I was engaged with different activities, workshops, field work, and my own research. For our listeners who can't see you, yes. what books are you holding up? Thank you so much. There is the Dimensions and Boundaries of Garifuna Duel. This is um, a book on Garifuna culture, as simple as it can be, so that young people could understand and get some insight about the culture. And this other book, Traditional Medicine, A Garifuna Perspective, is, is a book, I'm sorry, a Belizean perspective, but with a Garifuna emphasis, because that's my culture. Mm-hmm. And, um, it gives the medicinal plants of Belize classifications, uses, and um, as and the policies that would be necessary to help make this a part of mainstream health service delivery in Belize. So both of these books were launched at the same time, which was, and I need to tell the spiritual side of this process because they came out in 2010, 7 September, 2010, I launched both. And um, earlier in the year, I went to, I had a trip to England because my daughter was giving birth to her first child. And I had made a commitment to myself that I would be present for whatever birth things I could be present for. So she was in England. So I packed my stuff. And just before leaving, probably a couple of days, I found these packets of notes that I had on Garifuna culture and on herbal medicine. I had them in envelopes and I took them and I put them in my suitcase. I said, okay, this is what I will deal with during the night when I don't have anything else to do. I'll organize this. So I packed that and I took them with me. I started the dimensions and boundaries. I started focusing on that and organizing the notes and writing up stuff. And and each time, like every night, I would have a dream as to what I should focus on the next day. And I would be told, okay, I wasn't living too far from a library. My daughter's home wasn't too far from a library. So I go to the library and look this up. And that's what I did for for the, my time there, I would take, after I'd finish my domestic stuff, I would head to the library, go into the history section or the spirituality section, whatever I was guided to pull up and research to help to develop this book. And I also was in, I remember vividly one dream where I was stuck and I was told, call Uncle Cliff or, yeah, email Uncle Cliff. That's my godfather, Clifford Palacio in LA. He will be able to help you with that. So, okay. So I sent him 
the script and ask him what he thought and to ask him to you know guide me and and that's how it evolved and and another dream was send this to uh raw gibbons in trinidad another colleague of mine you know who was into culture and spirituality and so this is how the dimensions and boundaries evolved then the traditional medicine of course that was more a matter of organizing because i had the information this was at least 30 years of work that i had collected and so it was just a matter of compiling it you know and putting it in to a booklet form question yeah that actually leads right into the next question because what sparked that interest in plant medicine was it would you say that you were called to it you just have this information lying around and then put it together into a book later on in well yes no no i was called to it um i was from from little curious me scientific me um i would follow anybody who's pulling a plant and what's that what's that what do you do with it that kind of thing so the and it reached a stage where my mom would send me out to go collect the plants that she wanted and my auntie would send me out to go get because i knew them okay um or if i didn't you don't know this come let me show you <laughs> you know and so i would be the one that they would drag to go get get this get that and make make this and this is how you do it and you know so my aunt my mom my aunties my grand aunt and granny dora she was one she lived with us for a while um, she was my grandmother's sister and she lived with us for a while and she would be always pulling herbs and so she taught me because i would ask her and be curious and she would be making this bath she would come by our home. She came by our home when after my mom had had children, two of her children. So she would prepare these baths and for my mom. So I would be wondering, what are you putting in there? And so she would teach me. She taught me. Okay. So that's how I became knowledgeable about that. Now, in terms of the calling, at first it was just curiosity. And then, but it was a natural movement towards it. I went once to a healer, so I just needed to do a reading to find out what's happening, you know, my energy and so on. Not that anything was wrong, I just wanted to, to know. And as I requested the reading, I was just making the appointment, hear me? And immediately the healer went into trance and started to tell me, this is what you need to do giving me the message from the ancestors, okay? An ancestor who was prepared to teach me her knowledge, what she knows and all the herbs that I need to know, okay? And so that ancestor is with me and giving me guidance whenever I request it or even if i don't request it telling me go get this go get that you know so, so even now she is with you even now she is with you yes she's your, she's your person your what's the word it's yeah. a my, my guide my spirit guide for herbal remedies yeah i i do i and sometimes i can request mm -hmm. you know ask if i'm not 
if I'm not sure I ask and it comes in dreams and it's it's I'm I'm not making it like a it's a natural thing and many of us have that if we listen okay if we would only listen so I don't want to make myself out to be like oh like a but just when you said that sometimes you can ask and sometimes it just comes without your prompting, yes. that's, that's exactly how I receive songs yes. sometimes I ask for a song and sometimes it's knock 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 hello I need song. to give you a song now <laughs> sit down and pull out yes. your guitar <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it's a gift that we all have it comes in different forms and we have not been taught to honor it or to receive it, but it's like we dismiss it. Where we dismiss it, and if we would only embrace it and say, "Oh wow, that that is um that is something that I'm being told, it's given. It's a gift. It's a gift. And what do we do with gifts? Say thank you, and receive them, and use them, and show appreciation, right? And share share the gift." So, so both both of these are were gifted to me in that sense because even when I was in England, both books. My my daughter is married to to a Nigerian, so I was able to ask questions to make that African connection, and so it is it's beyond it it is to me both comprehensive, quite comprehensive in the sense and. Again, it's. I didn't think that that's how I'm going to write it. It evolved like that because of what was around me at the time, and even now, if I'm to, if I'm to, which I am redoing this one, the one on traditional medicine, a Belizean perspective. It's going to be even more than this because from 2010 to now, I've grown more, I've learned more, and I have more insight. I have had. Have relationships with people who know and have been willing to share. So definitely, both books, both this and the dimensions and boundaries of Garifunedro, will be even more comprehensive because it's my knowledge base has grown. Of course, right. So um, and that's that's how life is. I think if we would. Again, listen and obey. I, I keep saying that. I will keep on repeating that. You know, we are rebellious and disobedient. Stubborn. Stubborn. Things that information is given to us and the computer stores it and we can use it to enhance ourselves, but they come, our families and the community. And I, that is one of my gifts, to be able to take information, see the significance of it, apply it, and share it. And my most recent book, can I talk about it? Sure. <laughs> this is my most recent book, A Rainbow in Her Eye. This was launched I guess, September 7th. You notice that's when I launched my books. That's my birthday. I'm not giving birth. <laughs> I was given birth. I was birthed on that day. So it's a day when you give birth to things. 
So that rainbow in her eye now is is it's it's an autobiography. Mm. I Hello. do journaling, been doing journaling for ever since, and this is a compilation of, of some of my journal writings using the colors of the rainbow, the energy of the colors of the rainbow, because each color carries a certain vibration. So the different stories in my life fall under different colors, each color. So I've organized them and documented them in this book. It touches on all kinds of things. Um, life, life as a woman, my spiritual side, my physical side, emotional, my interests, my travels and what they have done for me and how it has, how they have made me grow. The, the blood, sweat, and tears of my life are in this book. Of course. <laughs> Recently launched, just September 7, 2020. So your last two books, The Medicine and The Garifuna Duo, came about because you happened upon some notes and decided these would be great as books. But A Rainbow in Her Eye, was that an intentional effort as an author yes it was intentional um because i in my in my life i had been i went through a journey a beautiful journey that with all the pains and the ups and downs it's, i still consider it to be a beautiful journey and appreciating that every event had a purpose so i do not I mean, people would look and say, hmm, you suffered, you were had him. And I, can, I cannot identify with that. You know, yes, I had pain, but I identify that it was, with pain comes growth. And this is what I tell the story. That is what I tell in the story, that you, you go through it with childbearing, the labor pain is there, but the joy that happens, you know, with the child is more you even forget the pain right so <laughs> i don't understand it it's it's just like i'm done oh my goodness right <laughs> so that's i i will read let me read a part of it and this is one of my favorite sections in this book who am i i am a river you are a current that pulls me in uncontrollable directions. Your erotic turbulence wrenches my soul from its peaceful state. Nature's torrents make you unpredictable. My safety threatened, I go with the flow. Mm. All right. Next, who am I? I am a planet. You are a halo shielding me on my path. Envelope, protect, and shield me from predators and violators I, as I exude my femininity. Deflect, attract, and mesmerize with the luminous and colorful. I rest in the tranquility, serenity, and freedom of your magnificence. Okay? In doing this book, that's why I say, Steph, it was intentional, because in doing this book before, I wanted to write the book, but it, and I wanted to tell my story, and I wanted it to be real, without any facades, any, you know, because 
but a lot of the people are still alive, you know? So I attended workshops so as to find ways of how to capture my story without offending, without, you know? So I did webinars, I did workshops for a year, over a year. Once I decided I was gonna do it, I said, okay, how to do it, I'm gonna do these webinars. And these webinars presented themselves to shape and decide how I would write the book in the, in the way that it would not be offensive or threatening, but authentic. Absolutely. Okay, so that's what I have here. So it's loaded, it's loaded, a small book, but it's loaded. Publishing is, is I encourage people to write. You know, if, if, if you are so inclined, write. And then team up with others, team up so that you can get it published. So in our pre-interview, circling back to plants, you told me that the Garanagu back in the day had their medicine cabinet in right. their yard. And that different families had their different like speciality right. plants and then they would share it with each other. So can you speak more about this? Yes. There were um there's some basic herbs. Yeah, in this book, traditional medicine, I would mention some of the herbs that are part of the Garifuna Pharmacopoeia, the Garifuna Pharmacy. I mean, and some of them are garden herbs in the immediate environs of the home and some are in the forest and the ones in the immediate environment in the surrounding the home are the ones that the women tend to take care of and um, use on a regular basis and then the ones that are in the forest are the ones that men would access because of for practical reasons. When they're in the bush, then they find them and bring them to the house, okay? Women may have access to that too, but it would generally be a male's job because in some cases you have to cut the bark or climb the tree or whatever to get the, you know? And by the way, we were very, our differentiation of labor was very clear. Our division of labor was very clear what men did and what women did. And it was not um, from a feminist, Western feminist point of view. It was, that's how our socialization took place. And nobody felt um, slighted because of either way, you know? That came, that came down the road with feminist thinking, Western feminist thought. So let me mention the herbs. We had um, aloe vera, okay, which is, and the, and the book is organized in alphabetical listing. That's why it will go that way. We had um, halosema. Some of them are in Spanish because of our influence, the ones that I know, because of the Honduras and La Buga influence, which are Spanish-speaking countries, right? We had halosema. Um, which is uh, for cough, headaches, relaxant. Then there's allspice. The, in, I can give you the Garifuna name too for, for some of them. The allspice is Lila Hachu. Pimento Gorda in Spanish, that the allspice is the, would be the English. And that is for digestive 
um, that that one would be a forest plant, right? Because it goes in the, in the bush. You would, you'd seldom find that near a home because it's a big, very big tree. Altamisa, that would be a, a shrub. So that would be in the yard. That is found, that's for stomach pain, muscle pain, and so on. Anis. Anise was one of the herbs that we use. Anise is for griping, especially for newborns and for cleansing the woman after birth and also for nursing mothers. We would, she would take the anise. Anato, that's a very important one, which would be the gusewe. Now, if, you, if you've been to a... Dugu, you would see the Afanahau, the women who are dressed, and the men who have on these dyed red outfits. Those outfits are made from brown cotton, and they are the red comes from the, the gusewe. The red seeds are crushed, and the fabric is soaked in this red so as to make it spiritually ready for the ritual. And only certain people who are delegated by the Bouye wear that outfit. So that's a very, very important part, um, herb in our spirituality. But it's also used for medicinal purposes, for fever, for burns, hypertension, the leaves and the seeds. Apasote is another common one that you would find in our yard. Apasote is for worms. It's a vermifuge, and it's it's medicinal, but it's also put in in our food. It's cooked in beans and that and soups, and that way the worms. You can have it as a tea or also in the food, so that the worms you you don't have parasites in your system. So you know, a food being our medicine. You see that, you know, food is our medicine. And so the list can go on. I'll skip a few and then just bring out some high, important common ones. The basing. Basing is, is the basil. That's common in all of our, every yard you would see basing. It's used in our hudu, in our lassos for hudu. And it's used for bringing breast milk, for breast milk generation, for air, air digestion, gas. And it's also aromatherapy. You know, a bath from with that will relax and soothe. And it's it's an everyday plant and it grows easily. So in Garifuna tradition, plants are used in for different purposes. But for the purpose of this podcast, how do we use plants medicinally and in spirituality? For example, baths are not one size fits all, apparently. <laughs> Can you speak more to that? Well, for example, like the anotto that you just explained, right? We use it to dye the dugu. Right, I understand. The anato is has um, medicinal as well as spiritual. So the 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 seeds, when ground, will give a red dye, and it is used spiritually to dye the fabric that the Afanahau wear, the clothing that they wear. Okay. And that clothing is is only to be used within the temple space by certain identified persons. Now, the medicinal part, the, the leaves are also, the leaf of that plant has medicinal properties 
for high blood pressure. And then we also use the red dye to season vegetables or meats to make it tastier, etc. So there's a duality in terms of the use of those that particular herb. There are some herbs. I'm not sure exactly exactly which herbs they are, but because again, not everything is shared by the bouillet, right, the healer. But there are some herbs that are given to a, a female who comes to the temple and she's on her menstrual cycle. And so these herbs, that mixture is given to you to drink so that you're to suppress the menstruation. And the reason for that is that uh, within the female energy is very high when she's on her menstrual cycle. And the belief is that that energy can disrupt the ritual, the ritual space. Okay, so taking the herbs will help to tone it down so that she can participate in the ritual and not be affected and her energy will not affect the the ancestral spirits and the work of the medium in the ritual space right and that can be researched further you can you can um, look that up some more under if you look at uh, on on shamanism and um, female reproductive health, these are things that you can read up on some more. Because this is not just a um, Garifuna practice. This is a this is cross-cultural with African and indigenous traditions. The female energy is a sacred and powerful one. And it brings me to the point of in our culture, the whole issue of modesty. You tie your head. This is not just for style. Okay, we have to look at the reason why we do certain things. You tie your head because we believe that this part of our head, the, the mole, where we call the mole, the top, that is our connection with the spirits. And so we need to shield it. We can take things in through the, at the top of our head. So we need to shield our head so that we are not exposed to energies out there and weaken that, that weakens us but we we were not taught that we tie your head you know you wear your muswe with your voodoo it looks fashionable yes it's fashionable however there's a reason for it so that you can protect your energy even your hair is like antenna they pick up things so we tie our head especially in these times of covid you tie your head so that you don't pick up those energies that are out there and of course the, the long skirt and the things like that it's also to protect our reproductive organs you know as as women we give birth to children and we need we want to make golden children so we need to protect our womb <laughs> so that these children can be as perfect as they should be Okay, so a lot of the the traditions, you know, they'd be branded as old-fashioned, and and there are some herbs that we we take so as to condition our body during pregnancy, 
and after pregnancy. Okay, so the whole sacredness of it, the herbs help. The, if the herbs are selected for a purpose and we, so that we can be our optimum. In our culture, everything was geared towards you being perfect. If you think about it, you know, you take your bush bath, your herbal bath to cleanse your aura. Who thinks about that? We have to clean your aura, but you can't just be knocking about as if nothing, you're not affected. We are aware that you are affected by things out there. So you take, you can go and do what you have to do, but you come back in and you clean off yourself. Take your bush bath, drink your herb tea, drink this, do, go to a quiet place, be by yourself. These are different aspects of our culture that we are missing out on. And more people should read your books to find out how. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. And more on that later. So I was just going to make sure that I, I answered the question about the link between herbs and spirituality. Okay, because the herbs, we believe that the herbs carry energy. So that's why we do the green baths. Green cleans your aura. So the bush baths and, and you know, to, you inhale the, the, the aroma. We had our own form of aromatherapy, right? You inhale the aroma plus the bush, the green cleans your aura to remove the negativity that you pick up out there. And there are times when you need to do a series of them, especially um, when you are going through grief, when you, got a, when you have a sudden bad news, shock. There are special herbs that are for that purpose. If you get shocking news, we recognize that life is real, but there is always a antidote for, for every, you know, different, there's a, there's a remedy, sorry, for situations. Right. You don't just leave yourself. That is one of the things that we have, you know, you don't just leave, you know, you don't abandon yourself. There's a, there's a solution. Okay. And, and it's in our spirituality. The solution is in our spirituality. And there's a lot that we can do to help ourselves. So I was taught herbs that are used for grieving, herbs that are used for the, for stress, herbs that are used for when you are this in despair, herbs for, to bring happiness and to build you up to, you know, there are different ones and we need to get back that knowledge and it ties into conservation because these herbs are important to us we need to make sure that we don't destroy the environment if we know them it breaks my heart every time when we have to chop down a whole lot of bush where herbs were growing and there's no other place where those herbs can be found near the community we're basically shooting ourselves in the foot right yes exactly Exactly. Your book on medicine plants, do, does it also contain the spiritual purposes of the plants? Um, no, a, a little bit. I have beliefs, rituals, and herbs. There are some, I have a few. Yes, that, that, I shouldn't say no. Yes, I, there are a few. It's in the book. So listeners, purchase the book. And, and I want to say that some of our herbs that are used for spiritual purposes, in addition to the um, 
to the dogo and the or other sacred rituals we have herbs that are we have practices that have been brought in from from our interaction with other cultures so we have formaldehyde which is a mestizo or maya but we practice it as well which is maldeojo means that if a child if you look at a, a newborn infant if you if somebody who has negative energy looks at a newborn infant or a young infant let's say up to one year if they they get affected that child picks up that negative energy and its purity picks up that negative energy and starts to throw up the head roll back and diarrhea and a whole lot of symptoms right and there are herbs that you need that can be used to bring that child back okay um bush baths and putting water bathing with sarasi and different a combination of sage and you know so that that child can the aura of the child can be balanced again i need to say that there are specialist people who can do that who have that gift to, to correct that within the family somebody but need to recognize that that is what happened because they would take that you could take recently it happened the child was taken to the hospital and given rehydration salts and whatever and the child still diarrhea and da 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 they had the eye rolling back and vomiting and whatever and the child from the symptoms described i told the father this is what has happened where was the child anybody held the child that was you know of balance and and no no i'm not no good intention and they tracked back maybe it could be this person or that person i said okay but by the time i said take them there's a i know people who do who have the art so they took the child and the healer fixed the child and in half an hour the child was back to normal and as adults we have that too we have that people can have an effect on us in that way you know definitely. we know definitely we can we know what to do right we we can physically move away from them or but we must also know that we need to practice our spiritual hygiene take your bush bath as soon as you get home take off the clothes your street clothes take a bath this is not just covid you know this is something that should have been done way back this is a practice that we have in our household long before covid you come off the street take off your street clothes and put on fresh clean clothes don't go throw yourself in your bed with those street clothes <laughs> you know this is something that this this is spiritual and emotional hygiene and in our culture that was taught but we've lost it lost it in the yes. same way that we go on the street and get dirty just by rolling around in the mud so to yes. our spirits no exactly yes what is the do you what what is a quick well maybe not everything is quick um how does one make a bush bath for example well the herbs are collected the recommended that we get herbs that are away from areas that are traffic you know from the, from the in my case I'm on the highway so I would pick my herbs from the back of the yard in the absence of that and you don't have bush where well, you can ride from the, the mountain is that okay 
Yeah, you can buy them from the supermarket. Ancestors, I don't have bushes, but I have the same. Yeah, ideally you can buy it from, I mean, ideally that's what we would do. But you can collect your herbs from the supermarket and use them. Try to get as organic as possible. So what herbs are these? Do we have to boil? It depends on what it is that you want to do. Let's say you want to do a... Um, just a relaxing bath, uh, uh, clean your aura. You could do rosemary, romero, that's what we would call it, romero, um, basing, some sage and lime. Lime is a powerful cleanser for your aura and um, some hibiscus flowers or some rose petals, five. For some reason, I'm still to find out why, but in our culture, we do our herb combinations in odd numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Three, five, seven, et cetera, et cetera. I still haven't found out why, so I really can't tell you, but it's done in odd numbers. So you collect your rose petals, in your case, Steph, lime, sage, or it could be hibiscus, Kylie has hibiscus nearby. You combine them and you collect them in a bowl. This this bowl, a deep bowl, this is small, but one like this, it has to be either glass, glass or stainless steel. Don't use aluminum, aluminum is toxic, okay? Um, plastic also is toxic, so you either use glass or enamel as well, enamel would be good. For, you take your leaves and then you crush them. And while you are crushing them, um, you would say your prayers. What is your intention? What do you want? What benefits do you want from this herb, this bath? You know, so you crush them until they're really, really crush them, real, real fine. And you say your prayer. Then you can add water. Again, pure water, not not them. Could be distilled water or rainwater, is in our case but not in faucet water, because again, chlorine and whatever has been put in there. They add enough, enough for a rinse. And I continue to play with that. It can be used right away, but ideally it would help to put it in the sun so that it can draw some of the sun's energy. So that mixture is then ready and can be strained. If you have the luxury of being able to it outside and with all the leaves, fine. But if you're going to do it in your tub, I'd advise that you strain it so that it doesn't clog your system. <laughs> doesn't mess up the plumbing, right? And you could end up with a, at least a gallon or two of water. Actually, I needed to have said that. Use a gallon or two of pure water. No, not tap water, but distilled or rainwater so, so that you can have a gallon of it. And that could be set aside until you're ready to take your bath, preferably before you go to sleep. Or if it's an energizing bath, it can be done before you head out. But preferably, best to do it at the end of the day when you're not going to go out and you can absorb the benefit of that, that rejuvenating bath. Mm. So different herbs could be put together based on what the situation is. Right. Okay. So that one is an example of a, of a rejuvenating, relaxing bath to clean your aura. And it can be done 
three days, five days. Once would be good, but over a period of time and you get the full benefit of it. Okay. It's important to do that, to, to get into that practice of cleansing, cleansing one's aura. Right? Or when you feel that you are kind of out of sorts, a green bath will always help. It will definitely make a difference. And that same combination can be used to clean your house, to mop the house, because that will clean the aura also. So you can like smoke out your house, but you could also like mop your house with this cleanser. Yes, yes. You can bathe yourself or also mop your house with it. Yeah, you gotta, you yes. gotta spiritually clean your house. Yeah, it are, it's wonderful. You are an author as well as a wellness practitioner and a retired counselor? Yes, retired. So how do you take care of yourself after you heal others? Yeah, the, well, that bath was one of them. And I also go to my altar and give thanks for, for the opportunity. I also, after I need to add, after taking a bath, there's, it's after taking the bath, after doing a healing process, taking the bath to clean your aura, there's needs to have a quiet time, solitude. That is something that, that's very critical so that you process, you can process, and also de detox or detach from what you have heard or what you have been participating in. So it's very important to, and I also go to the sea, take a sea bath. The sea is very important for cleansing of oneself. And that's, those are instructions that I got from my spirit guide to and I need to get water that from the depth of the sea, not just go to the beach. I need to get sea water from far out to cleanse from time to time. So I have to arrange for that to do to do that, you know. Um, and that I I understand why that would be because those are the waters in which our ancestors perished, and so their energy is there. Mm. So those waters from the depth of the sea from very far out are much more energizing and invigorating. So I, that's what I do. Going to my altar every morning is part of my routine. Um, meditating and being out in nature, um, talking with others, praying. These are things that are now Second nature, it, it becomes part of a, a daily routine. You have been walking this walk for a while, so you have it yes. down to a science. So it's a routine, yes, yes, yes. Helps to keep one calm. But that doesn't mean that sometimes you need extra, but it doesn't take long to bounce back if you have if you have a routine. Right. You know, that, that's it. And, and all of us need to do that, you know, to because... You know, when you get blows, you 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 want to get you will get knocked down, but you should be able to bounce back. Your resilience, but resiliency comes with being prepared and doing the work. 
you know just you don't just start to pray as soon as the incident happens it's something you do all the time you know yeah of your own protocol <laughs> that you follow you are speaking into my soul <laughs> I'm Auntie Lucia, what advice would you give to people who are searching and struggling for their spirituality? Young and old. Young and old, yeah. I think be open-minded to the fact that there are other perspectives of spirituality. And I say that, and also be be willing to be, be feel comfortable with where you are at spiritually. Because if you are practicing Catholic, if you're a Methodist, Jehovah Witness, whatever it is, you have made that choice and it has helped you. Don't deny it, okay? Too often we get caught up with all um, the guilt and, and I think that doesn't help us to feel guilty. Be accepting of where you are at spiritually. Then have an open mind to explore or to find out about other belief system or the Garifuna belief system, as the case may be here. I think the whole denial of that part of us is what destroys us. Because you are so taken up with denying it and saying that is not true, that is not true. Then it becomes a form of poisoning. You're poisoning yourself because it is you you are denying yourself. Yes, there's not everything about it that you will be, you may be prepared to accept, but being prepared to find out about it and, and um, being prepared to try it. The fact that you, some people make the argument, oh, I never grew up in a dad, my pa never grew up in a dad, my man never teach me that home. Mm-hmm understand i go back to a point that i made earlier they are uh, are victims of circumstance and because they didn't they were not allowed or they didn't have they were not privy to the information that we have now so we cannot be stuck in the space where they were at we have a duty to move our children forward these tools that you have that we need to ask yourself is what i am doing helping me to move forward if the answer is yes by all means go ahead is what the question if it is not how can i move forward better what else can i do to move forward better okay and i am sure the, the answer would lead you to the path of knowing more about your culture because that's who you are. Your, you are your culture. Your culture is you. Okay? And it's... <laughs> so the advice is find out. Be open. Be open-minded. And there's space. The beauty about it is in Garifuna culture, there's a space for both. You can be a Catholic and Garifuna. Yeah. You know, we are universal in that way. There's no need for competition. You know, it's the other side that tells you you should negate it. Mm-hmm. Garifuna doesn't tell you negate it. The Western okay? side. 
So why would they tell you negated? Something is wrong with that picture. If, if, a, if a faith is going to tell you, deny who you are. Right. Something is wrong with that. And so we need to be intelligent about our choices. In our conversation with Baba Roy, he told us that it is very Eurocentric to believe that there is only one way to think and one way to Thank believe. you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, it's very indigenous to be open-minded and to be exactly. Many- it's not mutually exclusive. Exactly. We are Garifuna and African, which to some people exactly. is very controversial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we are Garifuna and Honduran, Garifuna and Belizean, Garifuna exactly. and American, Garifuna exactly. and African American for those in the States. It's our core. Yeah. Being Garifuna is at our core, and that's it. There's no anything else you can you can put on an extra shirt, you can put on, but your core is Garifuna, you know? <laughs> right. We could put on different clothes, but our bodies yeah, are the same. Exactly. The bodies are the same. Thank you very much. What does it mean to you to be Garifuna? <laughs> you can't see her, but she's doing a little dance. Pride. Um, gifted. Rich. Powerful. Awesome. Yeah. Especially as a woman. To be Garifuna means that there's nothing in this world that you cannot do. That's what it means for me. I know, that's right. Yeah. And that captures it all for me. I mean, there's, you're un, unlimited. Ah. <laughs> there's yeah. nothing, nothing that you cannot do. There is such a richness. The heritage, the legacy is so, is so beyond words because and the thing is so many people are studying us so many people are studying us as a people and how we were able to survive and how we were able to persevere given the onslaught given what we went through so i mean i know it i know i don't believe it i know it and that's what I, that is what being a refina means, that we are powerful, you know? Okay. And with humility, it's not that we, we are better than, but we are powerful. There's, there's no two ways about it. And so we have to live, live like some people of power. That's what being a refina means, that we need to live as if we know we are powerful. And people who are powerful do not abuse others. We do not show off. We just be. And what's in our way will get out of our way. What is for us will come to us, you know? And that has been the story of my life. Sereme Wayabu Bayanuha Wama. Thank you for speaking with us. Yes. I'm trying, okay? I'm trying with the <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sorry. You're doing well, my love. You're doing well. You've been listening to Garfuna Sisters Talk Spirituality with me. Kylie Simone and my sister, Feroza Cayetano. 
featuring Lucia Regina Ellis. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to on. You can follow us on Instagram at Garifuna Sisters Podcast, and you can email us at garifunasisters at gmail.com. This is an ongoing conversation, so feel free to send us any questions or comments through the Anchor app or dropping us a message through our email or social media. Until next time, Bungyo Boma.